in this talk, I'm going to focus in on, let's say, some Bible quotations and also like some encyclicals of the chair of the popes, yeah? Because uh, all, you can also like, you know, mention uh, like quotations from the Holy Fathers, but I mean, um, I haven't included that because I mean, you can really talk about a lot of things uh, when you're talking about the theology of uh, the the sacred heart the devotion to the sacred heart but um uh, when i when one is preparing a talk you know you can uh, think to yourself it's almost like a buffet you know you there's so much there you know you go in there it's like you know seeing loads of food loads of sauces yeah nice meat and nice vegetables and salads and so on but you know you can't get everything on the plate yeah you just have to go and like you know choose what like you know is going to be the best thing you just present it yeah so this is what i'm going to do to, uh, for you today so here you have the sacred heart is often depicted in christian art as a flaming heart shining with the divine light pierced by the uh, lance uh, wound encircled by the crown of thorns surmounted by a cross and bleeding Sometimes the image is shown shine uh, within the bosom of Christ with his wounds, uh, wounded hands pointing at the heart. The wounds on the crown of thorns allude to the manner of Jesus' death, while the fire represents the transformative power of divine love. Yeah? So it's very, very common, this image. We have it everywhere. When we talk about this uh, sacred heart of Jesus, you know, this image um, automatically comes to mind. Yeah? So basically, we're talking about this abundant love of God, but it's making a particular reference to his passion, because that is, like we say, the climax or the peak of this unbounding love of God. Yeah, we we'll say where Jesus uh, dies and is, uh, offers himself willingly as a sacrifice in order to redeem humanity. So the next one is... The devotion is especially concerned with what the church deems to be the long-suffering love and compassion of the heart of Christ towards humanity. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have that in 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 the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the whole of the the whole focus, of course, is like you know, as I said before, uh, this moment, uh, what we're like um, celebrating in this Holy Week. This image is very nice. I put it in there because we can see here Our Lady which is she's being completely crushed and completely overwhelmed by seeing her son cruelly dying on the cross. The sacred heart of Jesus is a furnace burning with love for us in his sacred passion. This furnace of love, this fire of love, which is un a fire that is unlimited, which is like, you know, huge, which is strong. We can think about the sun, but all of the, these things are pale images of the reality of God's love towards all humanity. And particularly so at an, an individual level, at a personal level, we can say that God loves me with this uh, huge furnace of his uh, divine love. The entire earthly life of our adorable Savior was a continual exercise of charity and goodness towards us. But it was at the time of his passion that he gave us the most remarkable proofs of his love. Then it was that out of abundance of his charity, he suffered frightful uh, torments to deliver us from the terrible punishments of hell and to win for us the everlasting joys of heaven. So you can see here just obvious proof of God's love. 
you know, with a con in a very concrete way, in a very personal way, that God takes, we say, on board these terrible torments, because in the Roman times, the, the crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals. So Jesus was aware that he would suffer all of the, uh, these terrible torments in the hands of the Jews, you know, but he changed, he transformed his sacrifice as a sacrifice of salvation. Then it was then that he, his adorable body was covered with wounds and bathed in his blood. His sacred head was pierced with sharp thorns. His hands and feet were transfixed with huge nails. His ears filled with blasphemies and curses. His lips moistened with gall and vinegar. And his soul forcefully and painfully wrenched from his body by the cruel Jews. So when we're talking and remembering, like, you know, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking, we're making reference, continual reference to his sacred heart, you know, because it's a heart uh, bounding in love. Greatest proof of love is through, like, pain, through sacrifice. And we can see that Jesus, like, you know, and taking on board uh, this sacrifice, he was willing, he, he took on seriously our salvation. And Jesus loves us so much that he will be willing to undergo all of that suffering once more or many times, a thousand times, in order to save each of us individually. So here we have, like, you know, the supreme eloquence of God's love for us. You know, if anybody has a doubt about this uh, God's love for us, we only have to, like, you know, look at the cross, contemplate it, and understand the meaning behind it. And in that way, we can see clearly that Jesus really has taken seriously uh, his uh, love for us and, and, and our salvation. Yeah? Obviously, as we said there, like, you know, he's saving us from sin, saving us from hell. A quotation from Pope Francis, the heart of Jesus, the good shepherd, is mercy itself, is love unlimited, which never tires nor gives up with an infinite and boundless self-giving, which desires to embrace all and lose none. Beautiful phrase there. It really sums up, you know, what we're trying to express. You know, this unlimited love, this uh, love that goes to the extremes in order to, to save us, in order to embrace us, because Jesus doesn't want uh, to lose any of us. He doesn't want to lose any sinner. Even like, you know, the most evil sinners on earth, Jesus desires their salvation. And he moves like, you know, uh, the heavens and the earth in order for those um, people who are going on the path of perdition, in order that they can, like we say, have a moment where they can realize, you know, where they can convert and see their lives before God. Why did Jesus choose his heart? There are two reasons, natural and biblical. This is kind of like a, an introduction, really. It's, it's, uh, it's important to understand these reasons. So we're going to go into them now, we, uh, just and explain to you the meaning. The heart is a muscular organ which pumps blood through the blood vessels of the circulatory system. The physical heart of Jesus is worthy of devotion because the hypostatic union is united to his divinity. Hypostatic union, uh, it's a theological term used with reference to the incarnation to express the revealed truth that in Christ one person subsists in two natures, the divine and the human. Yeah? We're getting into like, you know, more of the, the, the theological side here. 
So basically, uh, here, the heart is, you know, we're going to see more and more of, you know, let's say, uh, the, the heart. But basically, it's very important to hear, like, uh, when we're talking about the heart, we're not just talking about any uh, human heart. We're talking specifically about, we say, the heart of Jesus, his divine heart, his heart as God, and through that heart, uh, his divine love uh, for uh, all of us. Then it's a natural symbol, and this part is very important here. To appreciate this rich symbolism of the heart, we must remember in Judaism that the word heart represented the core of the person. While recognized as the principal life organ, the heart was also considered the center of all spiritual activity. Here was the seat of all emotion and especially love. This part is very, very important because we can see here that um, you know, it symbolizes love. We will see now afterwards, you know, we'll say how in, in uh, every culture, we we'll say when we talk about love, you can see like, you know, the symbolism of heart is used. While we, so we recognize, you know, they say the heart is vital for, it pumps the blood around, the, the, gives uh, the circular uh, system. You know, it's uh, very important like, to remember that, um, you know, it has this other very, very important dimension, which, it, which means love. Here you have it. I love you. I love the USA. I love the New York Giants. I hope nobody is offended by that. <laughs> then te amo. I love you more. No, I love you more. <laughs> so I mean, here, like you know, all of these like symbolisms of love, especially on Valentine's Day, balloons and flowers and so on. Heart is always like you know a very very important dimension in this expression, in this mutual expression of one to another, of this, that somebody really cares, I care about you, I, this is, you are important to me, and so on. So here we have another important quotation from Matthew 15, 18 to 20. Jesus said, but whatever comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and it is in, that, it is in this that makes uh, someone unclean. For from the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, perjury, slander. These are the things that make a person unclean, yeah? So here Jesus is like, you know, talking about like, you know, the other dimension to the heart, because the heart is the principle uh, or the, the, the seat, if you like, of the core of the person, yeah? It can be used uh, like, you know, for doing good when one opens themselves to God, his will, his goodness, the, uh, being virtuous, or on the contrary, uh, one can, uh, we say, uh, through sin, through vice, uh, fall into the, uh, the sins that uh, Jesus mentions here. Because we hear, unfortunately, in uh, our news, uh, say, different conflicts that are going on, violence, war, tensions, um, unrest, uh, violence, theft, all of that, and it, we realize, you know, that the, that per, these persons that commit these pri uh, crimes are, you know, they, they have allowed their heart to be corrupted by vice. That's where the, the, the spiritual dimension comes in, where one opens their heart to Satan, where, where opens their heart to sin, and as a result, they become completely corrupted, 
and they, where they transmit, uh, instead of love, they transmit hatred, yeah? So you can see those two dimensions there. You can see for one part, you can see that uh, we are all capable of this love, uh, this love of God in the service of others and through charity, in the exercising of the virtues, and the other would be, we say, if one, we say, uh, the opposite of that is hatred, the hatred and vice and all of these other sins. Here, devotion is derived from devori, the Latin uh, devori um, uh, means to vow. Therefore, those persons are said to be devout who, in a way, devote themselves to God so as to subject themselves wholly to him. Hence, devotion is apparently nothing else but the will to give oneself readily to things concerning the service of God. Since devotion is an act of the will, thereby a man offers himself to the service of God, who is the last end. This is a quotation from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, from the Summa Theology. So here, St. Thomas Aquinas like, you know, gives us this def uh, definition. The important thing to remember in this definition is like you know that aspect of the devotion where one like submits to holy to god one is that one is like at the service of god yeah one like you know von says like you know i place myself at your service i give myself to you yeah so i mean in when we talk about we say you know the spiritual dimension as christians you know, in order to do the, the will of God, uh, we place ourselves voluntarily uh, before God. Why do we do that? Because we want to complete his will. We recognize that God is love, that his love for us is, is boundless. And as a result, we want to experience like his love in our hearts. We want to tr transmit that to all people. By doing that, we want to secure our own salvation. That is to one day reign in heaven and uh, receive the crown of life. Two quotations here from St. John Paul II. The worst prison would be a closed heart. The other quotation, the core of faith rests upon accepting being loved by God. And therefore to believe is to say yes, not only to him, but to creation, to creatures, above all to men, to try to see the image of God in each person and thereby to become a lover. That's not easy, but the basic yes, the conviction that God has created men, that he stands behind them, that they aren't simply negative, gives love a reference point that enables it to ground hope on the basis of faith. That's a beautiful quotation from Pope Benedict. Just in reference to the other, we'll say, quotation of St. John Paul II, it's a very brief quotation, but it summarizes in a, a lovely way what happens when heart is closed. We're here we're talking about a heart that is uh, completely selfish, that is only looks at oneself. It doesn't have that aspect of looking out at others. And unfortunately, that is a very a common, we say, a vice or sin in our times, where we, uh, people become only concerned about their own well-being and uh, their own, we say, whims or so on. And that dimension of looking and being concerned about other people uh, 
uh, is just completely cut off, and especially with reference to God. They feel like, you know, God, I, I don't need God, I'm fine without God. And as a result, like, you know, they just feel like, you know, the most important for me is um, uh, myself. And so it's a completely disordered self-love, which uh, only produces, like, frustration. Obviously, you know, all of us, you know, can fall in at uh, different times, we say, through weakness, through sin, in selfishness. But the most important thing, as a, as a Christian people, we have to, to fight in order to overcome it, in order to open ourselves to God's love, and also to transmit that love to other people. Another word, uh, the word heart in the Bible. Here I have different quotations from the Bible. This first quotation is from Jeremiah 31, 33. No, this is the covenant I shall make with the house of Israel. When those days have come, Yahweh declares within them, I shall plant my law, writing it on their hearts. Then I shall be their God, and they will be my people. Second quotation is from the, uh, 1 Samuel uh, 16 to 7. God does not see as human beings see. They look at appearances, but Yahweh looks at the heart. Yeah? So we can see here that through the Bible, that God has a very specific plan for man. He like, you know, wants to write his law uh, in their hearts. What is that law? That is his law of divine love. He has a plan for, for all humanity. He wants to write that law in their hearts. And so it's talking here basically about the covenant. When we talk about a covenant, we're talking about an alliance. When we think about the word covenant, sometimes the idea, uh, like in uh, today's world, that would come to mind would be, we'll say, a contract. We'll say between a lawyer and uh, two lawyers, or we'll say, where, like, they ask you, like, you know, to sign, are you in agreement with these conditions? Yeah, to sign here if you're in agreement. Because here, for example, in order to rent out this facility, you know, there are certain conditions where, like, you know, uh, Dolores, like, you know, asks for, uh, for all, of the, uh, all of us as a group, and they have their, uh, we say, conditions as well. So it's like a mutual, like, signing, where, like, you know, we're in agreement. So here, uh, in, uh, when we're talking about covenant, we're talking about that dimension where God, like, comes close to humanity, where he desires, like, you know, this contract or this covenant in a very intimate, loving way. Here we have a quotation from Luke's Gospel, 2 to 19. As for Mary, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's so important, this beautiful uh, phrase, where we think of the, uh, our Blessed Mother because she is the one who has brought us Jesus. And like, you know, we remember and we reflect on her immaculate heart in these days because without that openness of Our Lady to the divine will, without her yes to the angel Gabriel, uh, we wouldn't be here today. Uh, Christ wouldn't have come. So we can think about and reflect of uh, the, the, the simplicity, the humility of Mary because she was completely in love with God. And when um, she said yes to the archangel Gabriel, she was, because you can remember from that uh, Bible passage, the archangel enters into her presence. And like, you know, he greets her. She says, hail, full of grace. 
And like, what is her reaction? Her reaction is kind of like a bafflement. She's puzzled and she's almost like frightened. And like that reaction is typical of a young Jewish woman uh, with a huge uh, humility and simplicity because, you know, titles, uh, honors, you know, she doesn't like that. But like, you know, when the angel Gabriel like explains to her the mission, she automatically responds with that yes, yeah? That yes is for, for God and for all of, uh, all of humanity. Here we have another quotation from Deuteronomy. Listen, Israel, Yahweh, our God, is the one, the only Yahweh. You must love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The next quotation is from John's Gospel 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the festival, Jesus stood and cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who believes in me come and drink. As scripture says, from his heart shall flow streams of living water. Next quotation is from Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Just one say, observation there on the, let's say, the second quotation uh, to John. You can see here that, um, let's say, Jesus talks about, makes beautiful imagery because he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. So here we can see that uh, Jesus is like, you know, saying almost like, you know, that uh, humanity has this like thirst. And the only way that uh, we say that, uh, that humanity can, we say, satisfy this thirst that everyone experiences is coming to me. He could have said it like that, but he said it in a more symbolic way. That's why in the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, it's important also to pray to the Holy Spirit so that we can, like, you know, we say, comprehend and penetrate the meaning that uh, God desires to to give us. And of course, down here we have, let's say, well, talks about all who, are la who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. So here we can see, like, you know, that true peace can only come from, like, that connection with God, that openness to God. The earliest signs of the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus can be seen in the Old Testament text in the Song of Songs 4 9. You ravish my heart, my sister, uh, my promised bride. You ravish my heart with a single one of your glances, with a single link of your necklace. What spells lie in your love, my sister, my promised bride? How delicious is your love, more delicious than wine. How fragrant your perfumes, more fragrant than all spices. So here again, like, you know, when we read these uh, uh, quotations, we have to remember, like, you know, this unlimited, unbounding love of God towards humanity. It's a, a love that cannot, uh, cannot be contained in itself. So it's overflowing. And so in the Song of Songs, it captures, like, you know, we say the uh, intimacy, if you like. It uses, we say, an example between, we say, uh, two brides 
but at the same time, we have to remember, like, you know, they say for one part is God with ourselves. We can place ourselves in that uh, situation where God is like, you know, we say, making this uh, loving conversation between the soul and himself, where he desires, we say, to bring close the soul in order to share the abundance of his love uh, with each of us. And there's another quotation on the next one. Uh, again, eight, it says, Beloved, set me like a seal on your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is strong as death, passion as relentless as Sheol, the flash of it is a flash of fire, a flame of Yahweh himself. Yeah. So here it's talking about, we say, this, um, we say, the, the strength of love, that love is not something like just something weak, it's obviously something that is really powerful. It has the capacity to change and transform hearts, to renew people completely. And it's something that's like a fire. This example of the fire is, uh, you know, it's a very uh, effective, it's very strong because like a fire, we say, uh, when something is set alight, it, it sets up in a blaze. We have, you probably have heard recently of the fire in the Notre Dame Cathedral in, in uh, Paris where like, you know, we'd say a lot of the, we'd say uh, it was a lot of the wooden structure, the interior artwork was completely destroyed and a huge ravaging fire. But uh, we'd say, using this example, you know, we can say that, as I said to you before, like, you know, this, uh, the, the furnace, the fire of, God, of God's love for us is, you know, it's a passion. It's something there that is really strong. Here we have a quotation from uh, 1 John 4, 7. My dear friends, let us love one another, since love is from God, and everyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever fails to love does not know God, because God is love. This is the revelation of God's love for us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might have life through him. Love consists of this. It is not we who love God, but God loved us and sent his son to expiate our sins. But that speaks for itself. There is all summed up. God is love. We have to open ourselves to God's love. And uh, <clears throat> there was one part here that says, yeah, whoever fails to love does not know God. Yeah? So sometimes, you know, you can have... Um, you know, sometimes, you know, when we say here, like, you know, people who sometimes, like, you know, reject the faith or, you know, reject God or so on, or they say, you know, I'm Catholic, but we would, uh, I'm Catholic, but I don't practice. We would have to ask the question, like, you know, have they ever really experienced a personal love of God or if they have uh, ever really experienced, like, we'd say, was it the, well, exactly that, you know? Because uh, sometimes when people like, you know, dismiss the mass or dismiss, we say, the importance of the church or the spiritual life, basically you, we can say that they, they're living in coldness. Their, heart, their hearts are cold to the truth and to love. Because when we talk about truth, it's obviously we're talking like, you know, we say about truth. Uh, we're talking about, like we say, uh, to find God is to find truth. It's to, to find, we say, a new uh, uh, interior life. And the proof of that, of course, is like today, there are many testimonies 
of many different people, young people, children, adults, like who have like, you know, in their former lives have maybe like been up to their neck in, in mortal sin or been away from the faith or rebelled against the faith. But they have like, you know, we say, experienced in a specific moment of their life, uh, you know, that the need to change and the need to open themselves and to confess their sins. And uh, they've realized in that moment, like, you know, that slavery that they had inside, all that, let me say, ugliness of sin has been, has been completely taken away by having a good confession and by uh, embracing the faith and, you know, we say praying, yeah? So there is the, the proof that today that this God of love continues to, we say, do miracles of love. And he's probably going to do it here in this encounter, here in this Holy Week. People who are maybe coming and they're not really sure about uh, their faith or so on. To sum up, the heart of Jesus means the person of uh, Jesus, his deep interior, uh, interiority, his intimacy, his mystery, his person and work, his motivations and desires. At the center of his being is his love. But that's kind of like, you know, summing up all of like, you know, what we've, you know, we're talking about the person of Jesus. When we're talking about the sacred heart of Jesus. We're talking about the person of Jesus, his interiority, his passion, his love, his, um, his intimacy, his mystery, and everything that he, he worked, all his works of miracle, of healing, of grace, and so on. I'm now going to go on to, we say, this encyclical letter. Um, well, this encyclical is Aurietis Aquas. Uh, Latin, it, it means you will draw waters. Is a landmark encyclical of Pope Pius Twelfth, written on May the 15th, 1956, on devotion to the Sacred Heart. Yeah, so this encyclical, now the following, uh, we say, uh, slides are quotations from this encyclical. This uh, Pope, like, you know, gives a really very good global, uh, we say, summary and explanation of, we say, the devotion to the Sacred Heart, the theology of the devotion to the Sacred Heart. So we can start. So here's one of the first very most important uh, quotations. It is altogether impossible to uh, enumerate the heavenly gifts which devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus has poured out on the souls of the faithful, purifying them, offering them heavenly strength, rousing them to the attainment of all virtues. Well, that explains itself. Basically, the uh, Pope recognizes that, we say, throughout all the centuries, the faithful have, we say, had that cultivated, um, that devotion to the Sacred Heart, and obviously, those who uh, cultivate this devotion to the Sacred Heart obviously will receive an outpouring of grace, of healing, of blessings of every type. And so this is like, you know, it's just basically to state a reality that has happened and that continues to occur um, throughout the world. Those who continually uh, was, uh, come to the Sacred Heart will receive those blessings that they desire. If we consider its special nature, it is beyond question that this devotion is an act of religion of high order. It demands of us a complete and unreserved determination to devote and consecrate ourselves to the love of the Divine Redeemer, whose wounded heart is a living token and symbol. 
it is equally clear that as a higher level, that this same devotion provides us with a most powerful means of repaying the divine Lord by our own. So here, the Pope is recognizing that this devotion is one of the highest orders, it's the most important, yeah? Basically, the love of the Redeemer, yeah, the wounded heart, that is, we say, the center of our, of our belief, uh, as, a, as a, our focus as a um, Christian people. The Church has always valued, and still does, the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus so highly that she provides for the spread of it among Christian peoples everywhere and by every means. Yeah? Of course, the Church has always had that dimension, like the most important dimension that we say as, as Catholics that we have to remember is that we have to come close to the, the heart of God with that desire to make reparation for our sins in order to, uh, and also to, you know, uh, that we experience this divine love in our hearts in order to transmit it, to spread it among other people. For even though the devotion of the Sacred Heart of Jesus has triumphed, so to speak, over the errors and the neglect of men and has um, penetrated entirely his mystical body, there are some of our children who led astray by prejudices uh, sometimes go so far as to consider this devotion ill-adapted, not to say detrimental, to the more pressing spiritual needs of the church and humanity in this present age. Well, I don't know if you guys have, like, you know, experienced that or heard the, that, but, I mean, basically, unfortunately, in our, uh, in society, especially in the church, there are, like, you know, people who are, by more progressive or liberal thinking, and they feel like, you know, that uh, this kind of devotion to the Sacred Heart is something outdated, you know, something that does not, we say, connect with our times, and that is a complete falsity, that is a complete error. The devotion to the Sacred Heart has been, uh, you know, practiced uh, by centuries by, uh, by Catholics. And so it is important, like, you know, to remember that there has been, as we explained, like, in you know, a source of comfort, of joy, of blessings, of renewal for like, you know, uh, millions and millions of Catholics throughout the world and still continues to this day. But unfortunately, you know, there are those like, you know, that do not appreciate it. We can say that it's uh, because of their lack of faith, because of lack of formation about, uh, you know, uh, what the devotion consists of, that they say these things. So here in this quotation, uh, Pope, uh, Pius XII is acknowledging that there are people who have other ideas that are erroneous, that are not correct, that are not in harmony uh, with the teachings of the faith, and um, to recognize that, uh, that we, we can encounter these people. But the most important thing is like, you know, um, to realize that uh, we say, this devotion is still something triumphant and still, he says they're our children, led astray. You know, and so somebody's led astray, well, like, you know, they don't know, they don't know where they're going. So, uh, unfortunately, not only with the devotion to the Sacred Heart, but there are other, we say, um, ideas that creep in uh, into the human mind that are erroneous. And, like, you know, people think, well, you know, these ideas, they're, uh, they are compatible with my faith, uh, with my faith and uh, when in, uh, in actual fact, uh, fact they are not. 
And that's why here in the Holy Week encounters, we have this opportunity to form ourselves well as Catholics on the teachings of the faith, on the magisterium of the, ch of the faith, uh, in order to correct any erroneous ideas and also have clarity in what the church, church uh, teaches us. Because if we don't have that clarity, unfortunately, like, you know, errors come up. Because it says in our catechism, like, you know, that because due to ignorance, lack of formation, like, you know, errors and with the heresies, uh, like, um, sprout from the heart. Yeah. So that's why we, we always have, like, you know, to, uh, to correct these things and like to know exactly what the church teaches us on um, specific things. Yeah. Here is Pope Leo XIII, and he has a quotation. Well, this part of it is a quotation. Who would be so bold as to call that devotion useless and inappropriate in our age when our predecessor of immortal memory, Leo XIII, declared it to be the most um, acceptable form of piety? He had no doubt that in it there was a powerful re remedy for the healing of those very evils which today also, and beyond question in a wider and more serious way, bring distress and disquiet to individuals and to the whole human race. There's a powerful uh, quotation there. So uh, Pope Leo XIII was a... He was uh, a pope, a very long-reigning pope. I think he was about almost like 25 years. Um, he was a, one of the most like uh, longest-reigning popes. I don't know what uh, if he was a f uh, like uh, this number second, uh, num the second, or but he he was just before like uh, it was like towards the end of the 19th century, and it was uh, probably some of you know like uh, we say. Pope Leo uh, had, like, you know, after a celebration of the Mass, on um, one occasion, he had a, what they call a swoon or a vision, whereby he saw, like, a Satan attacking the church in the 20th century. And he saw that the impact of uh, this attack, and he was so kind of impacted by uh, that vision that he, he immediately wrote the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel in order to, to beg um, St. Michael for the protection of the Universal Church. Today in our community, we, we continue to pray that, uh, that prayer after Mass. Yeah? Powerful remedy for healing, for those very evils which today and beyond. Says, yeah. So when we talk about like, remedy, you know, we're talking about, like, say, medicine, which can completely, we say, heal, we say, uh, sickness. So when we're talking about, like, you know, it's almost like saying, like, you know, say that our society is afflicted by seriously, serious sicknesses, illnesses, diseases at a spiritual level in the human heart. And the only way to remedy these, the, all of these sicknesses and evils is precisely the devotion to the sacred heart. It can therefore be declared that the divine Eucharist, both the sacrament which he gives to men and the sacrifice in which he unceasingly offers himself from the rising of the sun till the going down thereof. And uh, likewise, the priesthood are indeed gifts of the sacred heart of Jesus. Well, we're commemorating that today uh, in the, uh, the Supper of our Lord, uh, where Jesus uh, institutes the 
well, you can say three gifts, but the, uh, the first two are the most principal and most important, is the institution of the Eucharist, the institution of the priesthood, and later the third one is the command of uh, fraternal, we say, love to all humanity. That form of piety then should be held in highest esteem by means of which man honors and loves God more and dedicates himself with a greater ease and promptness to the divine charity. There is no doubt that Christians, in paying homage to the Sacred Heart of the Redeemer, are fulfilling a serious part of their obligations in their service of God, and at the same time, they are surrendering themselves to their Creator and Redeemer with regard to both the affections of the heart and the external activities of their life. In this way, they are obeying the divine commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind and with thy whole strength. Matthew 22:37. Basically, we have that like part where, you know, the Redeemer, you know, homage, you know, so what we're saying here is like, you know, that homage uh, is due to the Creator, to the Redeemer, to the Savior of the world, by part of all humanity. Because we, were, we come from God, we are returning to God, and we are in this life in order to give glory, service, love to God. You know, as we, as we have that in the Catechism, you know. So we do, we're not just like, you know, here by chance. We were not just like, you know, here to have just a good time to have a, um, that life is a big party, you know, and uh, we can, you know, just live it up to the max and just, like, forget about God. That's, uh, you know, to, to lose completely uh, with uh, the meaning and the sense of life, yeah? We all know that, like, you know, there's a higher purpose, you know? We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we want to, uh, to inherit the kingdom of heaven, yeah, because Jesus, like, you know, said to his disciples, I am now going to prepare uh, a place for you in heaven so that where I am, you also may be. Yeah, and that was not just to his disciples, not just like, well, no, you guys, you know, yeah, I want you guys to be with me in heaven. This is a, like an invitation to all of humanity, to every soul that walks the earth. Quotations from the popes on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is the ultimate symbol of God's mercy, but it is not an imaginary symbol. It's a real symbol, which represents the center, the source from which um, salvation for all humanity gush forth. Well, here it's making reference to the heart of Jesus pierced on the cross, yeah, where that heart was pierced. We will commemorate that tomorrow on Good Friday. Yeah, where um, we have a, the image of the passion of Christ by the film by Mel Gibson comes to mind, where that moment where the, the, uh, the centurion, like, you know, we say with his spear, he penetrates the, um, we say, the heart of Christ, yeah? Everything that we say Jesus lived in that moment is, we say, the a great outpouring. Uh, we have, we say, in that moment, the theologians tell us, like, you know, is where the, the birth of the church takes place, yeah? Where Jesus, like, you know, through that, um, in that moment, um, gives birth to, we say, the whole, we say, um, believing people, yeah?
There is in the Sacred Heart the symbol and express image of the infinite love of Jesus Christ which moves us to love in return. That's quotation from Pope Leo XIII. We've seen him before. Here we have a picture again of Pope Pius XII. The Divine Redeemer is most closely united not only with his church, which is his beloved spouse, but also with each and every one of the faithful. And he ardently desires to speak with them heart to heart, especially after Holy Communion. Yeah, beautiful. There's so much truth in that. Yeah. So just as we have today in technology, uh, you have, like we say, the possibility to send messages, we say, uh, to another person. You can send, like we say, a joke or some like in, uh, news that is like, you know, we say, important, we say, without, we say, speaking to a person, you communicate, like we say, by, we say, a text message. When somebody receives a text message, they can see, you know, it provokes a reaction, yeah? If it's a joke, one laughs. If it's something like, you know, uh, we say, somebody has an accident, you know, could cause anguish or somebody to cry, or if it's something like, you know, not really important, like, you know, that you already kind of know, well, it's, you know, it's, like, you know, it's kind of like a confirmation of things. But we say, when we become closer to Jesus, when we uh, enter into adoration, when we go to Mass, um, this communication is also present in the human heart without our knowingness. Somebody can go in the presence of the Lord in the, in the uh, adoration, and like, you know, come out, we say, with an inner conviction about if they have to sell the house or if not, or if they go to go to some place or if they have to put their son or daughter into a certain school or so on. Yeah. So, I mean, the Lord, like, you know, communicates and he continues to com communicate to us um, through, we say, the silence, so to speak. Yeah. When one is open, when one has, uh, you know, contemplates, enter into contemplation to meditate his word and tries to take out, we'd say, the obstacles in the human heart, God is always willing to, we'd say, speak intimately, heart to heart with each one of us. In the Mass and in a Eucharist, uh, Eucharistic adoration, we meet the merciful love of God that passes through the heart of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a quotation from John Paul II. As I said before, you know, the, obviously as Jesus Christ is truly present in his body, soul, blood and divinity, in the Eucharist, in the Mass, in adoration, we are going before a powerful center of spirituality. In the, in the Mass, for example, the priest like, commands God to come down our altars. See, uh, the Holy Trinity is truly present. Also, the Our Lady and the angels and saints, they're in adoration of Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah? Uh, when one, uh, those of you who are from um, Assumption Parish or those of you who have been to the Adoration Chapel in uh, Assumption Parish, you, if you enter that chapel there, you know, it's a beautiful chapel. You know, you can go in there, you can see, like, you know, all the artwork, the wood, and so on. The most important dimension and the most beautiful dimension, of course, is in the Eucharist. And when one uh, looks at the Eucharist, uh, you know, the host, one would think, like, it's not a big deal. Like, what's uh, going on here? If somebody wasn't really a believer and one was to explain to them, well, there 
in that monstrance, uh, we believe that Jesus Christ is truly present with uh, his power, which is divinity. One would say, you know, if somebody would, didn't believe, they'd start laughing, you know. But we, as a Christian people, as Catholics, we do believe that uh, behind that simplicity, Jesus is there with his majesty and with his power and above all with the, his love for each one of us. In the Sacred Heart, every treasure of wisdom and knowledge is hidden. In that Divine Heart beats with God's infinite love for everyone, for each one of us as individually. Yeah. There are so many people, unfortunately, that lose sight of that. You know, they lose sight that, you know, um, God can't love me. Why can't he love me? Because I'm a bad person. Uh, they just, like, invent these stories. <laughs> you know, God loves for everyone. He even loves, like, you know, those people who are going down a path that's completely evil. I mean, the, for example, God's his love is to call people back into his embrace. Yeah, we have this, uh, the beautiful, like we say, uh, story of the prodigal son, which is uh, one of my favorite gospels, because you, hear, you have the son who is beside his father, like he's there working, like, you know, let's say, on the, the farm and so on, but he, like, you know, he, his, his heart is not united to his father. He wants his inheritance, he, he takes the inheritance, he gets out, uh, goes off, because his idea of happiness is completely different. It says, like, you know, the, uh, the idea of happiness for him is, like, you know, I want to party, use the money up, go with the women, and so on. And as a result, he becomes a complete slave to sin, to vice. Sin and destroys him completely. To such a point where he is, like, you know, reduced to, we say, looking for work. And even, like, you know, the eating the food of pigs. And, look, this, uh, like, when... Uh, when we talk, when we think of that image, it's a beautiful image because uh, when uh, t one turns their back on God, um, basically they, they follow their instincts. They become almost like animals. You know, just like, you know, this, you know they follow the, uh, their most, uh, um, their passions and their, their vices and, uh, you know, a vice and sin enters their heart and destroys them completely. Yeah? Okay. Pope Benedict says, in the pierced heart of the crucified, God's own heart is opened up. Here we see God, uh, who God is, and what he is like. Heaven is no longer locked up. God has stepped out of his hiddenness. That is why St. John sums up both the meaning of the cross and the nature of the new worship of God in the mysterious promise made through the prophet Zechariah. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. That's a beautiful quotation from Pope uh, Benedict. Yeah, this here is just uh, a quotation I found that I think it's probably nice to for all of you. I plead with you: never ever give up on hope, never doubt, never tire, and never uh, become discouraged. Be not afraid. That's something I just found, so I just uh, stuck it in there at the end. Yeah. So if any of you are feeling like discouraged or down or whatever, yeah, if you. It's a beautiful image, our holy Saint John Paul II is there, like, you know, towards the end of his pontificate, worn out and very tired. But, like, you know, he, what a wonderful example he gave, like, you know, the whole church.